Awaken podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. First things first, Awaken. To the most wonderful, kind, compassionate, generous congregation that a pastor could ever lead, I give you the most joyful, overflowing, buoyant, resurrection morning welcome I can possibly muster through a microphone. I hope and I pray that you are found surrounded by the presence of the living God, wherever you are and whatever your circumstance may be. Listen, if the resurrection of Jesus the Christ says anything at all, it says you are not alone, not even in the pandemic, not even amidst social distancing. So maybe close your eyes for a moment and imagine the resurrected Jesus standing in front of an empty tomb saying to you, I'm alive and I'm with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Greater am I that is in you than that which is in the world. In me, you are more than a conqueror, and I am giving you a spirit of courage, not fear, to face with hope whatever trials may come your way. These will produce perseverance in you, and what is born amidst struggle is from me, and it will last. Why? Because love lasts, because love wins, because I win, and I am with you. So here's what we want to do this morning. We want to begin where we left off on Good Friday. We want to kind of ease our way into the sun rising on Easter morning. So Mel has written two, and we played it at the beginning of Lent. It's, it's sort of this powerful prayer and longing called Breathe the Light. So we want to start there, and then we'll hear the story of the resurrection, read by some of our young ones from Awaken. And then I'll offer a few thoughts about the implications of resurrection. And then we'll join our voices with some familiar resurrection hymns together. So first, breathe the light.
us if you are able. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simpson Peter and the other disciple, the, and the one disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples had started for the tomb, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simpson Peter came along, and behind him went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out an aromatic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Some of you have been to the Boundary Waters on the border of Minnesota and Canada, so you know of the beauty that I'm about to speak of. I first went to the Boundary Waters when I was in high school with my youth group on a canoe trip. And I was introduced to one of the most beautiful places I had ever seen, miles and miles of untouched 
rugged, serene wilderness backcountry, places that take days to get to by canoe, and places where you can go days without seeing another human, where you're surrounded by lakes cut in granite from glaciers, white pines that stand tall and strong against all the odds and across all the generations. I love a lot of things about the Boundary Waters, but one of the things I love the most is the way that sound inhabits the space. Like if, you, if you've ever been to a place near the water that has hard surfaces nearby, then you know how sound seems to last longer and travel further. Like we call it an echo. Maybe it's not in the Boundary Waters, but maybe you've been in a cave or in the Grand Canyon or some other place where this happens in this bizarre and interesting phenomenon where sound gets repeated back to you not just once, but many times in certain places in our world. So imagine you've just woken up from your tent. The sun is just beginning to illuminate the world. The white pines are still silhouettes and the shadows are beginning to shift. There's mist coming off the glass clear water. You hear the distant sound of a loon and it keeps repeating as it travels through space and time off the granite and the water and then to you and then beyond you. You take in as much air as your lungs will possibly allow them to. And from deep down inside of you, you let out a primal and guttural notice to the universe that you are alive, that there, you are awake, there is air in your lungs and blood in your veins. There's this moment when the sound comes out of your soul, but then there's the next moment. As your word does not go out into the void, unheard or unseen, but you hear it repeated in an echo off the walls of the world. And then it glances off the surface of the water and then again and again and again. But when we produce an e a sound that creates an echo in the world, it decays and it diminishes with time and across space being absorbed by all the energy in the universe. But what happens when energy itself speaks a word? What happens when the divine speaks a word into the universe, where the rules of diminishing return in physics and science just don't apply? Does that sound just keep repeating itself over and over and over again? What happens when the word of God goes out into the world? The prophet Isaiah in the 55th chapter is considering this idea when he says, as the rain and the snow come down from the heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn brush will grow the juniper. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. And this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Here is my Easter provocation. My offering to you as we gather around this age-old story and ask it to speak to us in our time and for our world. I want to suggest to you the possibility that on Easter resurrection morning, God spoke something into the universe that continues to repeat itself over and over and over, undecayed and undiminished. As always, the question we must ask ourselves is, can we hear? this word. So here are two words 
and a blessing for you this morning. Two words and a blessing that continued to be offered to humanity and to the cosmos because of Jesus' death and his resurrection. A word of liberation, a word of victory, and a blessing of peace and presence. First, liberation. Here's what I find fascinating about Easter. When Christians, especially evangelical Protestant Christians, think about and preach about Easter, the word or concept that dominates much of their imagination and much of the lexicon of said people is the word atonement. I mean, when I think of all the Easter sermons I've ever heard and all the reflections that I've heard Christians utter over the years, the idea that comes straight to the top is the word atonement. In other words, salvation. At Easter, On the cross, Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for my sin. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. In fact, as I've thought about it, I don't ever remember hearing a sermon about the resurrection of Jesus. It was always about the atonement. And so it was, and for many it remains to be, that the central idea of Easter is atonement. Atonement, by definition, is reparation for a wrong or injury. It's payment for something to someone. And at, and at some levels, it's transactional. It moves in one direction, from one person to another. Now, here's the thing. In, in Judaism, there are three major festivals in a calendar year that the ancient Jews would have been invited to pilgrimage back to Jerusalem for. Now, one of those three festivals is devoted to the idea of atonement. It's the festival of Yom Kippur. This is when the high priest goes into the temple and on behalf of the people and the sins of the people and offers a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. This is the same festival where the high priest places his hands on the head of the goat, the Azazel, and imputes the goat with the sins of the people. And then that goat is led out of the temple and into the wilderness and released symbolically. It's the season where Jewish people or the Jewish person is cognizant and aware of their own sin in a more intentional fashion. Friends, atonement matters in the Jewish tradition and in the Christian story. But what's fascinating to me is that Easter, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus does not happen during Yom Kippur. It happens during Passover. If Yom Kippur is about atonement, Passover is about liberation. Liberation, by definition, is the act of setting someone free from imprisonment, slavery, or oppression and releasing them into something else. You see, said differently, if Passover is largely about Egypt and liberation, Easter is mostly about Passover. I mean, think about it. Like, the historical setting of Holy Week is Jerusalem at Passover. The Last Supper, which we celebrate the Eucharist and communion from, was a Seder meal. Pesach. Passover. Here's a question for you. As Christians who have largely, predominantly, looked at Easter through the lens of atonement and the personal salvation of individuals— What have we missed out on by understanding Easter through the lens of atonement and not liberation? I mean, maybe you disagree with me, but I think I'm onto something here. As I think back over all the Easters I've ever been a part of, it's mostly about atonement and rarely about liberation. So the question is, what have we missed?
What are we missing out on by not seeing the dominant and, and, and primary lens of the cross and the resurrection through liberation? Here's another question. What does the cross, this iconic symbol of Christianity, what does the cross of Rome symbolize? Culturally, in an ancient world, what did the Roman cross symbolize? What was it a symbol of? And does liberation have anything to do with it? If you know me, you know that it does. Kelly Douglas Brown, an African-American woman, in her book, Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God, says this concerning the crucifixion of Jesus and racism in America. In Jesus' first century world, crucifixion was the brutal tool of social political power. It was reserved for slaves, for enemy soldiers, and those held in the highest contempt and lowest regard in society. To be crucified was, for the most part, an indication of how worthless and devalued an individual was in the eyes of established power. At the same time, it indicated how much a threat that person was believed to pose. Crucifixion was reserved for those who threatened the peace of the day, the status quo. It was a torturous death that was also meant to send a message. Disrupt the Roman order in any way, and this tool will happen to you. As there is a lynched class of people, there was, without a doubt, a crucified class of people. The crucified class in the first century Roman world was the same as the lynched class today. It consisted of those who were castigated and demonized, as well as those who defied the status quo. Crucifixion was a stand-your-ground type of punishment for the treasonous offense of violating the Roman law and order. Friends, this ideology and these actions have been at play in the human story forever. They were at play in Egypt. They were clearly at play in Rome. They were at play in Europe. They were at play in America. And I would argue they are still at play in our world today. The cross is the ultimate symbol of the human capacity to extinguish and devalue another human life. It is a symbol of power and the lengths to which power will go to perpetuate and protect itself. It is the symbol of the rights of those who hold all the cards and their ability to snuff out the potential and the image of God in another with impunity. It is the ultimate symbol of the depravity of humanity and its complicity in evil and darkness. Brown goes on to write, the cross represents the power that denigrates human bodies and destroys life and preys on the most vulnerable in society. As the cross is defeated, so too is that power. I would then argue Jesus' death on the cross, which represents those powers, is the ultimate demonstration of solidarity with those who have been affected by those powers and principalities, while simultaneously a demonstration of Jesus' opposition to those crucifying forces. Notice that Jesus refuses to answer their questions during his trial. It's like he won't play their game. Right? which is not a sign of consent, but rather a refusal to grant any authority over him to the powers that crucify him. The famous passage of Philippians chapter 2, the kenosis passage, which speaks of Jesus letting go or surrendering his divinity, is the ultimate and absolute alliance with, and solidarity with those of the crucified class. Friends, while the atoning work of Jesus is, a, is important, 
When it becomes the primary focus of the cross and the resurrection, I dare say we run the risk of missing the liberating word of God. That was spoken into the universe that morning and is being spoken to you and to me today. A liberating word both to the oppressed and the oppressor. From a way of being human that stands in opposition to the way of God and for a way of being human that ultimately leads to life and flourishing and wholeness. A word that does not decay or diminish over time. That is still reverberating right here and right now in 2020 for you and me, the American Christian. A word that liberates us from the power that the cross defeats. The power that denigrates human bodies and destroys human life. A word that sets us free for something else. A word that brings life and honors the image of God in our brother and our sister, our brother and our sister who may look differently, who may vote differently, who may believe differently than us. A word of liberation expressed by God 2,000 years ago that's needed as much now as it was then. The question is, can you hear it? Or have your ears become deaf to it? Wake up. Easter resurrection morning is a divine word of liberation echoing in our world that is being offered to you and I right here and right now question for you. What or who in this world is still in need of liberation from those powers? Do those powers still exist in our world? The powers that denigrate human bodies? The powers that destroy life? The powers that prey on the vulnerable at worst and ignore the vulnerable at best? And for those who have heard the word of liberation— an equally important question is, what have you been liberated for? See, liberation, it goes both ways. It's something we receive and it's something we participate in. So there is a word of liberation spoken on Easter morning. I would also say that there is a word of victory spoken on Easter a victory over death and a victory for life. But how do you celebrate victory and resurrection in a coronavirus world? That is a fair question. It seems odd to be declaring victory over death and for life when death seems to be all around us. And what's so fascinating about this moment in time in history is that death for us is no longer an abstract thing far from our realities. It's not something that we can say affects that person over there. Rather, with each passing day, it creeps closer and closer to each of us, almost as if it's crouching outside of our door. Dr. Sam Gear from Wartburg Seminary said this past week in a reflection, this year, however, death is in the air. It's on the doorknob and it's in the handshake. Friends, we can't ignore it, we, nor can we pretend that it doesn't exist or won't affect us. Because if we do, we proclaim a gospel to a world that doesn't exist. But I would argue that this is the exact moment that the echo of resurrection morning rings the loudest, undecayed and undiminished, the very word of God declaring victory over death and for life itself. I mean, think about Jesus' life and his ministry. Like, it's nothing if it isn't the demonstration of and a living declaration of God's commitment to fostering and nurturing life. All through Jesus' ministry, he's freeing people from the clutches of death and returning them to full life. He's casting out demons. He's healing the lame. He's giving sight to the blind. He's setting the oppressed and the enslaved free. Dr. Brown writes again, he simply does not hand human bodies over to the powers of death. 
There is not one story reported in the four Gospels in which Jesus cooperates with death. He takes on the power of death and defeats them. I mean, think about the two times Jesus, is, Jesus weeps in the Gospels. John eleven thirty five, when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies, he weeps. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem, which has been consumed by a culture of death. It is death and the powers of death that Jesus stands in opposition to. It is death and the powers of death that engages Jesus at the deepest emotional levels. It's death and the powers of death that, in, that Jesus engages and then defeats and declares victory over by resurrecting from the dead once and for all on the morning we call Easter. It is that word of victory that echoes undecayed and undiminished right here, right now, to a world ravaged by a virus named Corona. Declaring that death may get in a word, but it does not get the final word. At the heart of the Easter, uh, at the heart of Easter is a proclamation of Christ's victory over death. This is, has been, and always will be true, even when, and most importantly when, death is in the air, on the doorknob, and in someone's handshake. And so, church, when we join our voices and our hearts together as one, we do so with Jesus in defiance of the power of death and in tune with the power of resurrection, even as we are far away from one another in this moment. We join the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, the mothers, the fathers, the saints, and we say, hallelujah, Christ is risen. Come on now, church. Even in the midst of and in the face of death, which gets a word, we say together with the hope of resurrection, your power is not ultimate. It is rather temporary. And while we may weep for a time, we will not fear you because you do not get the final word. That word has already been spoken and it is still being spoken and it is victory. So the words of Easter echoing through the cosmos this morning are words of liberation, setting people free who have been in captivity, not only setting them free from something, but free for something greater than themselves. A word of victory, a reminder that even with the smell of death lingering in the air around us, when the death is on the doorknob and in the handshake, we stand with the resurrected Jesus, saying that the worst that darkness and the enemy of love can do, which is death, has been defeated and shown to be powerless over the love of Christ that is now loose in the world and alive in you and in me. Come on! Let me close with this blessing. Jesus appears in a room after his resurrection as liberation and victory ring out in the universe. And he says to them, peace be with you. As the Father sent me in peace, now I send you in peace. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, your comfort and your guide in the knowledge that you are not alone. So hear the word of liberation this morning. Receive it and then live in that which we have been liberated for. Hear the word of victory this morning. Know that death is not the last word. It is a word, but it is not the last word. And know that you have been sent by peace and in peace with the presence of the Spirit of God that raised Jesus the Christ from the dead. If that's true, it changes everything. And that, my friends, is really, really good news. And it is yours today. So take it in, receive it, live from it, let it change you, let it transform you, let it 
Let it inform how you show up in the world in the face of suffering and sadness and even death. Good news, and it's yours. So as I was thinking about what would be good for us to sing together on Easter this year, um, I came across the story behind the hymn In the Garden online, and it's just such a beautiful story. It's a hymn that I loved singing when I was a kid that I still love hearing and singing today. And I had no idea that this hymn is actually inspired by Easter. Um, And I wanted to share the story behind it with us all this morning so that hopefully as you engage with it, um, you can kind of be brought into the same kind of imaginative um, experience that the hymn hymn writer experienced when he wrote it. Um, The name of the author is C. Austin Miles, and he wrote this hymn in the year 1912. And here's what he says about it. He says, one day in April 1912... I was seated in a dark room where I kept my photographic equipment and also my organ. I drew my Bible toward me and it opened at my favorite book and chapter, John chapter 20. I didn't know if this was by chance or by the work of the Holy Spirit. I will let you, the reader, decide. That story of Jesus and Mary in John 20 had lost none of its power and charm. It was though I was in a trance as I read it that day, I seemed to be part of the scene. I became a silent witness to that dramatic moment in Mary's life where she knelt before her Lord and cried, Rabboni. I rested my hands on the open Bible as I stared at the light blue wall. As the light faded, I seemed to be standing at the entrance of a garden, looking down a gently winding path shaded by olive branches. A woman in white, with head bowed, hand clasping her throat. As if to choke back her sobs, walked slowly into the shadows, it was Mary. As she came unto the tomb upon which she placed her hand, she bent over to look in and ran away. John, in a flowing robe, appeared looking at the tomb. Then came Peter, who entered the tomb, followed slowly by John. As they departed, Mary reappeared, leaning her head upon her arm at the tomb. She wept. Turning herself, she saw Jesus standing there, and so did I. I knew it was he. She knelt before him with arms outstretched and looking into his face cried, Rabboni. I awakened in sunlight, gripping my Bible with my muscles tense and nerves vibrating under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I wrote as quickly as the words could be formed by the lyrics exactly as it is sung today. That same evening, I wrote the tune. It is sung today as it was written in 1912.
And so now, as you go into the world, as far as you are able, receive this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace. Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.